This morning is going to be a little bit different. Uh, like Tim said at the beginning, Smith, where, you know, we wanted to give testimony to the, the cool parts about being part of the body. And Tim and Toby, you guys can come up. Um, I realized that that, at least for me, that last sermon series was, it was challenging, right? Like every week as I'm prepping for it, God is just, he's, he's waking me up. And so we wanted to, don't get me wrong, you guys know me, I love a good challenge. Um, but it's, it's okay to take a breather every once in a while and to remind ourselves of the really awesome things without necessarily a challenge. Now, I hope their story will challenge you, but this morning we want to share Tim and Toby's testimony uh, as a reminder. And the reason their testimony, I mean, one, their testimony is awesome because it's just awesome. But two, it really provides testimony to the last three or the, the last two sermon series we've done. And then this next one that's upcoming. So two sermon series ago was Joshua. And we went through the book of Joshua and we looked at the themes of God fights for his people. God goes before his people. He prepares the way. God is always faithful. So in light of these things, our lives are meant to be a courageous response of obedience. That's what we're called to do. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous for the Lord your God fights for you? So that was Joshua. Then most recently we did Be Equipped and we looked at the lives of spiritual discipline that we're called to. We looked at disciplines of worship, of prayer, of scripture, of fellowship, of giving, of serving. Uh, and so pay attention for those as well. And then the sermon series we're going to be starting coming up next is on First and Second Peter, where we look at this letter that Peter, or these two letters that Peter wrote to a group of believers going through intense persecution and trials. And he says, hey, here's how you live in the midst of these persecutions and trials without becoming bitter, without losing hope victoriously. And so listen for that as well. But this is going to be a great morning where we get to hear just beautiful testimony uh, of really all of that. And my prayer for this is that we'll all be encouraged and, and challenged and inspired, right? That's the body is meant to edify one another. So before we dive in, please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for worship, for praise, and the chance to lift our voices as your body, to celebrate who you are as family, to praise you. And Lord, we thank you for uh, two wonderful members of this family, Tim and Toby, and, and for their story. And I thank you for their willingness to use their story to give you glory. And we ask that that's what would happen in this time. That Jesus would be lifted high, that he would be magnified. May your spirit move in our hearts. Stir us, Lord, to deeper and deeper faith. We want to live for you. You're our only audience. May our lives be a testimony of who you are as we proclaim Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you all know Tim as Tim today, and that's who I know Tim as today. And I first met Tim uh, five, six years ago, and then Tim and I had the chance to serve as elders together, and we got to go on a missions trip together. We've gotten to continue to be partners together on in the governing board and stuff like that. And so the Tim I know is humble, grateful, prayerful. I mean, I love praying with Tim and hearing his earnestness for it and just hearing his passionate heart for the Lord and for the church. And Tim, you were always like that, right? No, not at all. So why, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you were, uh, what, what year was it? But tell, tell us a little bit about the Tim that I don't know. Okay, well, I'll, I won't make it the long version. Right, not the long, yeah. But uh, yeah, I was, I was uh, raised in a Christian home, went to Mansfield Christian for several years, 
Uh, about the age of 15, I decided uh, I wanted to play baseball. I used that as an excuse, but got switched over to public school. And uh, all that time at Mansfield Christian, I, I, I felt as I was failing, just I was a failure to God. So I couldn't be the person God wanted me to be. So I decided at 15, going into my sophomore year, that I was going to live my life, try to be, try to live it good, but uh, I can do that without God. I can do it just as, the same as I'm failing with, with him. I can do it without him. So, so I decided at 15 I was going to just go out on my own. And uh, it was probably, it was 20 years, 35, when I uh, recommitted my life to God. And uh, I know uh, my mom was very faithful in praying for me the whole time. Uh, we, uh, I got married. We had five kids, was working. Uh, a lot of things happened. Uh, life was going really bad. I was more blaming God than blaming myself. Uh, I just didn't want anything to do with God. And, and I actually told a friend of mine, he was telling me with, with all these trials and stuff that were going on in my, at work and marriage, everything was just going downhill. And uh, he said to me, he said, Tim, well, you need, to, you need to turn to God. And I said, no, I hate God. Hmm. So, and uh, I just told him I didn't want anything to do with it. So that's where I got to that point. Uh, in 2000, my grandfather... My grandfather was a very godly man, and uh, he, uh, he went into the hospital, and then uh, he passed away, and he made me executor of his will. And it was about a year. He, he died in 2000. 2001, I was looking through paperwork, and he had written a letter to our family that uh, Jesus Christ was the only way. It was what he depended on. He had had spinal meningitis as a kid. I saw him go through a business failure uh, just lose everything and when he died he had nothing but he was just always joyful and I just couldn't understand how he could go through everything that he went through and he just always had a smile on his face always great to people um, reading through his papers it, uh, I found out later on that even when he had money he was giving it away to people and never let anybody know never let our family know uh, he was helping families several families uh, he just was a great godly man and that's I, I finally in 2001 my wife would tell you but she was going to church I didn't want anything to do with church but she would get me to go every once in a while and somehow it would come out I would go on communion Sunday and that was just a battle I knew what that meant and uh, it was in March or I'm sorry February of 2001 that I went and I went to North Woodbury and Yogi was preaching and he was preaching out of Colossians and he was talking about how you have to, uh, you come to God as you are. You, you're you're, you're going to fail without him. You need God. And for some reason, the, the light went off. And I, uh, I walked out of there two feet off the ground and uh, changed everything then. So love that's it. the short version. I love it. I, I love it. And so if you guys caught, right, his, his grandfather, the discipline of generosity and the spirit of giving and even the testimony of his life right when you talk about a discipline of evangelism but you also mentioned something about toby because you got married during this time this period where i hate god i want nothing to do with god i want nothing to do with church and you get married to toby you've got five kids and it would have been easy toby for you to quit during that time right 
And, and Tim mentioned, if you guys heard him say, that Toby, her commitment to church and to living for God did not waver in this time. So Toby, talk to us a little bit about that. The, and also the discipline of prayer and praying for a spouse and watch, I mean, a loved one. I'm, I'm guessing there are people in this room who have someone they love dearly who wants nothing to do with God. I'm, I'm just based purely on odds. I'm guessing that there are people in this room with loved ones who want nothing to do with God. And that's a weight that weighs on us. And rather than becoming cynical and bitter, talk to us about the perseverance of that. And, you know, okay, I've got five kids to try and get to church. My husband wants nothing to do with helping it. Forget it. That's too much work. Here's Lucky Charms. Go watch cartoons. I'll read my Bible on my own, right? And instead, there's that perseverance. So just talk to us a little bit about that. So first, I want to say one thing, that the very first time in 2004, before Tim and I moved to Haiti, and we spoke to tell people about what we were doing. It was a church in Munster, Indiana, and they had called and asked us if we wanted any particular music. And I asked them if they would play Blessed Assurance. And we sang that song this morning. So that just really That's pretty cool. touched me how that worked and how God works in that. So um, just so you know, I was not a Christian. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised in the opposite of a Christian home, sort of uh, hedonistic, do whatever you want, and everything is fine, and you don't need people judging you. So um, through the work of uh, a neighbor coming to my door and inviting me to church things all the time, but not in a gross kind of overbearing way, but more like a pleasant, let's go have fun way, and me saying no over and over again and her persevering and asking me. Um, I went to a church thing, I got my eyes opened, and when I was 30 years old, I accepted Christ as my savior, not even knowing the importance of what I had done, just the, the, how impactful it would be in everything that I did. And so here I am all excited, um, this new Christian on fire, you know, everything's a Bible verse. I knew nothing of the Bible, and so I would be reading things, and I would read a passage, and it said, uh, it talked about uh, Thomas and how he doubted, and I was like, doubting Thomas? You mean that came from the Bible? And Tim knew the Bible because he grew up in a Christian home, so he knew all these stories, so he could answer my questions, so he did, but sort of in a factual way. So um, I started going to church, um, and I would get up and get five kids ready, and you know how the morning goes before church. Get your shoes on. Where's your socks? You know, and then you walk into church. Good morning. And how are you today? <laughs> and that would be our morning, and I had no help. But every Sunday, I would ask him to come. And he usually would say no, except for, like he said, on Communion Sunday. And then when he came home from church on those days that he came, he was mean. Um, he was fighting a battle. God was working in him, in his heart, and he wanted nothing to do with it. And he would have headaches and not feel well and be very short-tempered and just um, grouchy. And it, it was hard. But I prayed. Um, I had people praying. Um, I went to small group. Every once in a while, Tim would come with me, and everybody would be like, "Oh, good, Tim's here." Um, because yeah, of this I, I would make it a point to whatever I could find it a difficult question. I would make it difficult. So I, I wasn't nice. I was angry, and and they knew it. So um, these people prayed for him because they knew what was going on. Um, Tim's parents took our older kids to Awanas at the church they went to, so they were building a good um, base in them while we went to the church we went to. And for six years, I prayed, and lots of people prayed. 
And then that Sunday, Jim went to church and heard that sermon, and he came home from church, and he said, I recommitted my life to the Lord. Everything's going to be different. And when we talked about it um, as time passed, you know, I was like, what, what made you make this decision? What made you change? Um, you know, for six years we've been doing this. People have been praying for you. You've been miserable about church. And he said that um, the way that I acted after I was saved, I was so changed, which I didn't think I was, but he could see such a huge change in me that that really spoke to him. And that made all the difference. Hmm. Discipline of prayer, discipline of scripture, discipline of the importance of the body and her life in this time, getting people who loved her praying for Tim because they understood the weight of this. So, Toby, what would you say to someone? Like I said, there's, there's got to be people in here with a loved one who wants nothing to do with God. You've been there. What would you say to someone who's, who's facing that cloud hanging over them, that weight? Um, I would say persevere, that God's timing is perfect. Um, you hate for your loved ones to not know Jesus and to have the risk of not being able to spend eternity with him, but it doesn't work pounding them over the head every time you see them. What works is them seeing a change in your life, them seeing you as a believer, praying, um, being around other Christians, bringing that person along to see that, you know what, Christians are not a bunch of pious people that never do anything or have any fun. They are good people that love the Lord and love life. Um, and seeing that in every interaction and seeing um, the changes in you really makes a huge impact. Even if they can't articulate it, they see it. makes a difference. Yeah, and uh, you, you never know the effect you have on a person. Hmm. Uh, I was working at uh, R.L. Smith Roofing, and uh, there was a guy there they called the Rev, and uh, he just had a profound impact on my life. I, I wouldn't be here today with, with, without what he did for me. He just lived his life, and he lived it so well at work that, that that's what they called him the rev because uh, they would change their uh, language around him. They'd clean up their language around him. They, you know, they'd know. And he just, he, he loved on people, no matter who they were, what background they were. And he kept reminding me, he knew me from church. Like I said, I grew up in church, went to First Alliance all my life. And he kept saying, he'd say, Tim, you know the truth. You know the truth. And that's all he would say to me. Or, you know, he'd just remind me. And it would just, I, I told him, and that was Scott Todd that Scott Todd. just stayed on me. So, I think that's, I think, I, I love God's sense of humor in bringing you two to the same church. Uh, I think that's really cool. And, and what we talk about in disciplines, a discipline of evangelism, persistence in it, Toby talked about it. And in, like we talked about the importance of behavior and words, right? If your behavior doesn't match up with their, your words, why should people listen to you? But if it's only ever behavior, then how will they know? So I love that, you know, you point out that Toby's behavior and her prayer and her words made a difference. Scott's behavior changed the way you looked at his word. I, I mean, I love all of it. And even the circumstances with my grandfather, seeing yeah. him, what he went through and, and how he could handle it. Yep. Just amazing. And so now we've got new Tim. Now we've got the Tim that, that I know, that we all know and get to know. And this next phase of life, I love this. I love, so for those of you who don't know, they served in how long were you guys in Haiti? Eight and a half years. Eight and a half years. Served for eight and a half years in, in Haiti as missionaries. How do you go from, I want nothing to do with God in the church to, 
hey, let's move our family to a third world country. That's, yeah. I mean, that is, you talk about a trans, you talk about a Saul to Paul transformation. So that's awesome. And then you've got your wife who has been this incredible testimony to God in the church. And so, Toby, we all have to imagine that when Tim came to you and said, hey, I feel like God's calling us to Haiti, you were just overjoyed at this, right? No, absolutely. I asked him if he was crazy and said, there's no way that we're moving to Haiti, taking our five kids and moving there. Not going to happen. Get it out of your head. I think she was just paying me back because when she was saved, she pulled off alongside the road, prayed to see, receive Christ when she was working, Marion, and then came back, told me the next day that she had and I, and I told her, I said, well, you know what? That's great for you, but just don't preach to me. So that was how I accepted her. <laughs> so her going to Haiti, I, I just, you know, the Lord was calling me. And uh, he actually told a guy at our church that he came up to me and said, hey, Tim, I don't know what's going on, but God's praying me off, praying, having me pray for, pray you off this continent. That's what he told me. And so I was like, and, and I felt the calling. So uh, I went on a short-term mission. Uh, we were down, I went with actually my son Zach, he's here today, and uh, we went down, worked on an orphanage and a, and a clinic, and uh, came back after 10 days, and that's when I told her, I said, hey honey, pack up, we're moving to Haiti. And that's what her, no, you're crazy. So, uh, so I left it at that, I just said, okay, Lord, I'm called, I know my, she's got to be called, my family's got to be called, so I'm just going to keep praying. So that's what I did. Just keep praying. And so, Toby, talk to us about this time, because this is, this, like you said, this is crazy. This is, this is a massive change of perspective of life that you're facing. It, it would have been easy and tempting for you to dig in your heels and say, no, God, this is too much. This is too big, right? Like, here are all the excuses why I'm not the right person to serve in the way, this way. Here are all the excuses. So talk to us about how God is using this to mold you, to humble you, to, to grow you, to stretch you. You know, what's going on through this process for you that eventually all of a sudden, okay, we're going to Haiti? Well, I had to have some um, really in-depth conversations with the Lord. And um, he reminded me as, of who he has put in authority over me and who is the spiritual leader of our home. Um, I was so used to being the spiritual leader because he wasn't going to church or anything that it was hard for me to kind of reconcile that, you know what, um, Tim puts the husband, or God puts the husband as the spiritual leader of the home. Do I trust Tim to be my leader? And do I trust God that he put Tim in that role? And so there was a lot of um, prayer and thought and um, submission. And I would say our relationship is not, um, you know, that he tells me what to do and this is how I'm doing it and all that. That's not what I mean by submitting to him. Um, we make a lot of decisions together, but if there is something that we don't agree on, I defer to him um, because that's the role that God put in my life. So he kept not really after me about going to Haiti, but he asked me to pray specifically about going to Haiti. And so um, I did, and I did it reluctantly because, yeah, he's the leader of my home, and God put him there, and, you know, I'm supposed to listen to him, and I need to pray about this. And it was one of those, okay, I'll do it by rote. I'm just going to do it as a task. I'm just going to do it because he asked me to. But then it became more of a um, in-depth, and why am I struggling? Why am I, you know, not taking this seriously? Why am I uh, being so obstinate about not wanting to move to Haiti? So what 
what would be the benefit? What could I see? What could God show me? How could I make a difference? I needed some answers along those lines. And so really, um, my struggle was with me. It really wasn't with going um, to Haiti. My struggle was with me and, and um, that I wanted to be in charge of things. And so once I recognized that and let go of that, um, I was able to see and understand and accept what Tim was saying and recognize that if God is calling him, and I believed that God was calling him, that he was calling our family, not just him. And so um, an opportunity came up for for me to travel to Haiti. Our kids were going to go on a short-term mission. They were going to go to Africa, and that fell through. So they ended up quickly um, scrambling and were able to go to Haiti. And at first, Tim asked me, and I said, no, I'm not going. Um, I don't want to go. And you're taking our oldest son with you when you go, and we have, you know, four other kids at home and me. If something happens to the three of us, what happens to the rest of everybody? And again, he asked me to pray about it. And I was like, you know, God is calling Tim, so let me go see what this is all about. You know, give me, um, give me some understanding about it. So I went, and we didn't talk about it while we were there. Um, and we got home, and I looked at him and said, I get it. I get it now. I'm willing. Let's go. I love I love God going before Tim prepping the way. I love Tim going. I mean, you look at Joshua, right? You think about the the two of the twelve spies who are like, "Hey, this is the land that God is setting before us. Let's go after it, even though there are obstacles." Uh, and I just I, I think I see parallels. Um, and so now, so we've looked at the disciplines. We've, we've looked at the themes of this in your life and how your testimony provides testimony to the weight of these things and the beauty of these things and how God uses these things. And now we come to Haiti. And you think of the people of Israel going into this land with obstacles, with difficulties. And at every turn, God proved himself faithful. And he proved himself to have gone before the people and prepared the way for them. So talk to us a little bit about that, even starting with the, the story you guys told about the, the finances and small group prayer and just, you know, seeing God prove himself faithful in preparing the way for you. And then down in Haiti, fighting for you. Yeah, well, he continually reminds us, we think we come up with a good plan and we have a great plan. And then he shows us it was nothing and his plan is so much better. So uh, we had a plan to go to Haiti. We had to have one time and then come up with a monthly and I had it all figured out. We're gonna do this and we're gonna come up with that. And uh, right before we left for uh, training, missionary training in Colorado, a uh, gentleman that was gonna buy my company came to me three days before we left and said, you know what, I'm not gonna buy your company. I'm gonna go start my own company. His wife was supposed to do the books while he was gone for three weeks. All my guys were still working. Uh, so I was like, okay, what do I do now? So. Guy stepped up at work. I called a woman I knew from the company before, and she said, yeah, I'll come do your book work while you're gone. God just set everything straight, and we went out, and everything ran smoothly. It was just amazing to see that. And then uh, as we were doing our planning, we sat down with the field coordinator, and he went over all the, <laughs> all the needs that we needed, and it kind of blew us away. We were very discouraged, extremely discouraged, and we ended up going to our small group that night, and we said, guys, we need prayer because we need to have all this money to go to Haiti. There's no way that this can happen. And uh, we had a young couple in there with us, and he, he said, okay, yeah, we'll pray for you. And he, uh, he got up prayed, and he, he prayed out of Psalm 50 where it says, 
you know, God owns the cattle, a thousand cattle, on, you know, cattle on a thousand hills. And uh, what is this to you? He said. And both of us kind of went, yeah, what, what are we doing? You know, we just got to trust God to do it. And uh, so just his words, and those words have stuck with us through a lot of things, through many years. And just, uh, we actually saw them a couple weeks ago, and I talked to him, and, and we, Toby mentioned that, and he goes, I don't ever, I don't even remember that. And we're like, well, it, it made a huge deal to us. So. Hmm. And then, uh, then Haiti, which is a super easy country where everything goes smoothly all the time. Yeah, that was, uh, uh, we just saw God continually work. We went down with the goal to have an orphanage of 20 girls, and it was supposed to be 22-year-olds, and we were supposed to all get them at once. Well, 22-year-olds at one time. That was our plan. God's plan was said, no, let me bring three in in September, two more, three more months. All the way to, I think we got our last girl. We went down in 05. We got our last girl, the 20th, in 08. Hmm. So, uh, and, uh, it, yeah, November of 08. But uh, we just, we, we kept making plans, and then God would have different plans for us. And, uh, not expect, not accepting any babies, ended up accepting. Uh, we have, you'll see a picture on there, my wife holding a three-pound one that we got. Hmm. She was screaming just a, just amazing different things he changed we we sat down and did a plan on 2010 january 7th of 2010 we sat down and made a five-year plan of our mission and uh on january 12th we had the earthquake and so it again plans change and so uh we had cocos and construction come alongside come down build an orphanage for us a new orphanage because ours was damaged in the in the earthquake, uh, but then we, we just saw miracle after miracle. Uh, we had a, I know one thing with uh, Burgett's own composing, and Bill Burgett was out on vacation, and it was two weeks after the earthquake where he had already told us that he was gonna come down and build us a new orphanage. Biggest thing with there, the port was closed, or everything was closed, it's hard to get things in to, to build. You can't, we're in an island, so there's nothing, you know, no natural resources. So. Uh, he he went on vacation, was in Arizona. He was getting ready to leave, but he decided he could get 18 more holes of golf in before he was leaving. So he went to the golf course, and this is, I mean, that's high end. And uh, he, he was by himself. He, he told me, he said, I'm by myself. And I get, and they said, well, we got a threesome over here. Why don't we see if we can put you with them? And so he got with them, and they start golfing, and they start talking. They talked, hey, did you see that earthquake? You say, yeah, we're going to go down, build an orphanage. My biggest problem is I have no clue how we're going to get the material. And the guy, one of the guys with them was the president, or the CEO of Maersk Shipping. Maersk, the biggest <laughs> shipping company in the world. And he said, well, what do you need? I'll send it. And he gave us five containers. Sent them down to Haiti for us to build. A.W. Tozer quipped one time. Somebody said to him, well, that's just a coincidence. And A.W. Tozer said, it's amazing how much the rate of coincidences go up when God's involved. It is. I mean, how are we going to get this stuff down here? Hey, you want to connect with the CEO of the largest shipping company in the world? Let's do that. Yeah, you talk about God fighting for you. Wow. And then, yeah, we had planned 20 years, but then... Uh... Yeah, it didn't... It, obviously, there were ups and downs. And so we, we're down in Haiti, or you're down in Haiti, 
And then there was a period where you wound up coming back earlier than you expected. And as we look forward to First and Second Peter of believers going through trials and difficult times, you guys have felt that. I mean, talk to us a little bit about that and that, that perseverance through the trials and what carried you through those. Um, so it, it's kind of hard to talk about this um, separation that we had from the girls. Um, we had committed to raise them to adulthood um, and to provide for them. Um, after the earthquake, a lot of things changed. And um, there was someone in Haiti that um, wanted what we had built. And so it came to a point where um, our entire mission was evicted um, from the orphanage, the clinic, the guest house, the church that we had built, the school that we had built, the property we had built homes on for people. Um, and we were evicted from our homes at gunpoint and um, had to leave. So we had an hour to pack up everything that we had um, built in eight and a half years. Um, they kept telling us we couldn't even speak to the girls. They were just making us leave. And so we couldn't reassure them or tell them it wasn't them. They were young. You know, it's like a parent's getting divorced and they think it's all their fault and they were upset and crying. Um, we did just kind of push our way down there and they let us talk to them for 10 minutes. Um, and we told them that we had to leave. We didn't understand really what was happening or why it was happening, but, um, and we didn't know when we would get to see them or talk to them or anything again. And um, we had to leave. They, um, the girls just cried and we hugged them all and kissed them all and told them we loved them and we would try and get a hold of them. And that was all we had. They didn't have phones or anything. So um, they tried to arrest him um, just so they could uh, extort some money from us. They were going to take him to jail and stuff. But our community, because we had worked in that community and we had built relationships with people in the community, the community came and stood by. They couldn't stop us from being evicted, but they did step in and say, we see what you're doing and you will not take him to jail. And um, they let us um, leave without that. So we um, hired an attorney. We fought. Um, we did everything we could. We consulted with attorneys here. We hired an attorney in Haiti. We did everything that we could do. We tried negotiations. We tried deals. We were made promises that they just wanted the assets and they would let us have the girls if we would do certain things. So we would jump through this hoop and then they would give us another hoop. So we spent um, a long time jumping through hoops. Um, and all this time we weren't allowed to see the girls. Um, it was two, more than two years later um, that finally we said, we're done jumping through your hoops um, because they had set another hoop and they had made us a promise. And when we asked about the promise, they said they didn't get to it. And we're like, it's been more than two years and we have not seen our children. So we're gonna go see them. So we did. And during all that time, we had to remember that God loved these girls. Yeah, he, he loves them more than we ever could. And uh, when we left for Haiti, we left our oldest here. He is, it was his freshman, freshman year in college. And so we, we, uh, we trusted God. We, that was the, probably the hardest thing we did when we left for Haiti. And uh, we said, okay, God, He's yours, you know, you're gonna take care of him. And then through the years, uh, 
we had our next one leave. He, he went out early uh, and finished his senior year here. And then we said, we're never doing that again. And then we had the earthquake. And then our kids had to be sent out again because there was no school down there. So we, we had learned to trust God with our children. And then when this happened, it was just the, I mean, it was just, it was the same thing, only the other way. Hmm. We said, okay, Lord, you know, you, you love more than we ever could. So you need to take care of it. So, so we spent a lot of time um, over the next eight years um, not being able to see the girls, praying for them. Um, they got to the age where they were able to get cell phones. So we were able to, they weren't allowed to call us, um, but they would sneak and call us. And then we were trying to walk a fine line because we don't want to teach them to be disrespectful, but we want to know how they're doing. Um, so we made it that we would call them. <laughs> so then they would get trouble for calling us. And um, now they all have phones and technology, technology Kindle fires and their WhatsApp and us and stuff all the time. So we <laughs> yeah. get to talk to them a lot more. But we really had to trust um, that God was going to take care of them and understand that he had a purpose behind this, whether we understood it, whether we wanted to accept it or not. He was working what he needed to work um, through this eight years of separation. They just preached on First and Second Peter, so we'll find a new series to go to next. But that's what it is. That's, it's, I'm in a situation I don't understand why. I, I didn't do anything to earn this. I don't understand why I have to go through this. This is not easy. This is painful. This is a burden. This is a weight. But God has a purpose, and His sovereignty hasn't changed, and His love hasn't changed. So what would you say? How do you pray during a time like that? Someone's sitting here. Someone's watching us online. And they're in the midst of that. God, why is this happening? I don't understand. This hurts. Where are you? Why isn't, why isn't anything changing? What's the prayer life during that? What's, what's the scripture life during that time? Well, I, I wrote it. There's a couple of scriptures we stuck to. And, and I have them memorized, but there's no way I'm going to remember them sitting up in front of everybody. So I went ahead and got them out so I could read them. But you just, yeah, there's different verses. You have to, you have to keep reading the Bible. Yeah, you just have to stay in His Word and, and continually, uh, you know, look for messages. That renewal of your mind that exactly. He talks about. And uh, we just, there's several of them. Uh, one of them was Romans 15:13. It's may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It's not you you're leaning on. You're leaning on. And you, I mean, that's all you have. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, I like in John 12, 27, now my, now my soul is troubled, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason. I, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So it's not a matter of, you know, we want to be there. We want to be taking care of the girls, but we know you have the plan. So we have to, we have to just let you, let your plan go. So, uh, again, many many prayer was okay. Lord, please just give me a hint. What's going on? <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd like to know something. And uh, we would get calls from the girls, and that was good. I mean, that's kind of an answer to prayer. We'd hear from them and, and hear what was going on, or get to see them at their school. We were never allowed to go to the orphanage, but when we went to Haiti, we would see them at school, and uh, we got some answers. And just uh, 
And then uh, another one is John 16:33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Uh, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So just leaning on scripture. That's the one that, uh, remembering that um, the battle's already been won, um, that uh, Jesus won the big war for us, that we don't need to um, be in control of everything. I like to remind myself that um, God created the universe without my input, and so, I, you know, I, I'm sitting here waiting for him. And so this period ends, and we come out of this phase into where you guys currently are, and we're, we're skipping some time here, um, but you've gone through a lot. You've, you've served, you've worked hard, you've been hurt by it, you've been faithful through it, you've trusted in it. I'm sure there were plenty of sleepless nights, plenty of tears shed over all of this. It'd be so easy for you two to both get to a point and say, okay, it's time to retire. Right? Like we've, we've been in the game for long enough. Give me a seat on the bench. I'm done. I'm, I'm ready to take a breather. And so now talk to us about raising hope and this, this new stage that God has for you and what he's called you into. So um, we have started a new ministry and it's called um, Raising Hope Ministries. The orphanage that we had was called the Hope Center for Orphan Girls. So it was Hope was Haitian orphanage that provides and educates. And that was always our um, goal, was to provide them with the education that they would need to be successful. Um, and we really started building that foundation when they were little, and then we had this long period of separation. Well, um, some of the girls are 18 or older. Three of them graduated from Haitian high school. And um, we called and asked if we could celebrate that graduation with them. Um, and they allowed us. Yeah, it was the first time in eight years that the, the church and the Haitian gentleman that was in charge of them said, yeah, I'll let you, I'll let you see them. And then he says, well, do you want to just see those three or do you want to see them all? Oh, obviously oh, we we'll want see to them see them all. <laughs> so we went down in August and saw them. And uh, uh, we wondered what they were gonna to do to continue their education. The three oldest said, well, uh, the church that is sponsoring them, they said, we'll pay for two years of uh, education, post-high post, uh, school education. And so they did that. But in the eight years we were gone, the girls were never allowed to leave the orphanage. The only time they left for orphanage, they, the older ones, they went to school. And so they were pretty much, I, I say they were institutionalized because they weren't out there. If, if you put them on the streets of Haiti now, forget it. I mean, they have no clue what's going on. And so that's kind of what they did. They said, they told the girls, okay, you can go to education. Here's some schools in Haiti. They're, they're, for us, it's not a big deal. They're like 10 miles away, but it's four tap taps and three hours of, of, of getting there in one way. And so they said, yeah, we're going to do that. And so when we left in August, we were like, okay, that's what they want to do. And we always told them, if you need help, you just call us. Well, Josh and Paige had decided to go to Haiti and teach at the school they te taught at. But he knew, I'm sure God gave them insight, Josh and Paige, that, and because I went and I always thought, I'm just going down to teach, that's what he'd tell me. And then I, one time Toby was working, they were speaking at Heartland, 
And so I went to Heartland Lessons, and, and half of their stuff was, well, I have 20 sisters down there, and they'll be get going out of the orphanage, and I want to be there to help them. And I was like, he never told us this, you know. So that's part of his mission. And so I was like, wow. But so in September, they three called us, or five. Five called us, three had graduated, but five called us and said, hey, the last straw was that we have to travel, and we don't know what we're doing. They don't send anybody with us. It's very dangerous. We're leaving, and can you call Josh? Tell him we're coming. And so we did. Yeah. So we we called Josh and Paige, and um, the girls made arrangements to leave the orphanage. They wouldn't tell us how. Um, they just decided to do it, and they called Josh and Paige and said, "We'll meet you at these places. You need to come and get us." Or they got to Josh and Paige, and Josh and Paige lived in this little two-bedroom apartment right on campus. And um, suddenly they had five um, teenage girls living with them. So a, no, a one bedroom apartment came open, so we thought, well, we'll rent that and put the girls down in there. And Josh and Paige gave up their home to move into this smaller place so the girls could have the other apartment. So the girls were living upstairs and Josh and Paige were living downstairs. So it was basically the same house. Well, and for, for Josh and Paige, it was, they had gone down and fixed that two, the two bedroom apartment. I mean, they, they put a bunch of work into that and then, and then they go, oh no, we'll, we'll move down. And so they had to do it again after they left the girls in there. So. But they really are filling in as uh, role models and mentors and parenting. And just, um, we feel so much better because Josh and Paige are there um, taking care of our girls. And um, the girls go to school um, where Josh and Paige are working, and you know Josh is their brother. That one of their teachers is their brother, and it's just really um, been great having them there. Well, and it's fun to see them uh, interact too, because Haitian people do not really have a sense of humor. I don't know if they just don't. Well, look at what Haiti's like. But, so. yeah. <laughs> but uh, our girls, uh, even though we weren't with them for eight and a half years, they kept that, and they're 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 so funny. They have a fun time uh, just joking with Josh and Paige. And uh, they were out of the country last weekend. Josh and Paige were back in the U.S. And I called the girls and I said, so you miss Josh? And they said, no, we don't miss Josh. We miss Paige. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, they have a great time. So, but we, we got three more in January. Three more of the girls. Two of them turned 18. One of the girls has a younger sister, a, uh, it's her real sister. And we, uh, our girls took the initiative to find her family, uh, call them, tell them what was going on at the orphanage. This was a better place for their family. And so they met with them. They met with Josh and Paige and then went over out to the or orphanage and signed uh, the younger sister out so we could have her too. So uh, we have all the, the older ones that are 18 and then we have a 15-year-old. So that's for Linda. So right now we have eight girls. And we're, um, so our goal for them is to provide them with um, the education that they need and the tools that they need to be successful. Um, there are no jobs in Haiti. Um, there's sort of menial tasks, but there's no jobs unless you are wealthy and connected. So um, we're sending them to a school that is an English-speaking, American-accredited Christian school where our kids graduated from when they were there. 
and, and went to because Zach didn't graduate from there. <laughs> and uh, um, so that's where they're going. So we're paying the tuition for them. Um, we're paying their living expenses. Um, yeah, we moved them to a five-bedroom apartment, which is nice. Um, it's teacher housing, so they'll have to move yet again in, the, in August. Um, we were able to get a vehicle so um, they can all fit and go places. So Josh and Paige had a vehicle, but they couldn't fit everybody in once we got the other girls, so we got another vehicle. Um, now uh, we've tasked Josh with teaching them how to drive, so we're gonna see how that goes. <laughs> and um, so what we're doing, we're um, raising these girls, we're finishing, making up for the time that we lost, kind of teaching them how to live on their own because they didn't really know. They had um, a cook at the orphanage, they had maids at the orphanage, they had a laundry lady at the orphanage, they, everybody had a job, um, but they didn't. And so they're learning how to run a household, they're learning how to care for things, um, they're learning to do their laundry, they're learning to cook, they're learning all kinds of really neat things. Um, and they're learning to manage money. They never ever had any money. And so we give them a, a small allowance and um, they can spend it however they want. Now, some of them learned really quickly how fast money goes and um, to save up their money to get the things they really like. And some of them, it took a little bit longer, but they're all well on their way. <laughs> so, um, we started uh, the organization Raising Hope Ministries. Uh, we've applied for nonprofit status and it is at the IRS waiting for that approval. Um, and so we are, this is the beginning of us going around and talking to people, telling them what we're doing and how we're hoping these girls um, can really be a, a beacon, that they can answer their calling, um, that they can do what really the Lord wants them to do in whatever community they choose um, to do it in, whether it be in Haiti, whether it be in the US, whether it be in the Dominican Republic, whatever. We want to give them what they need so that they have opportunities to make decisions and they can follow God's calling in their life. So that's what we're all about. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.